So, so this is this is funny because uh, I was I was thinking that I would I would have to introduce myself, and I do a bit to some people here, some people not at all. Um, there, there's a nice split. Um, but 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 first, I want to do this thing that feels a bit like trepidation, just because I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, may, maybe some folks have noticed that. Uh, okay, you don't know what you're doing. Okay, uh, but but I've been hearing a lot more people uh, do this thing called the territorial acknowledgement, and I think it's a good thing. And I was not going to do it because I didn't know what I was doing, but I do know that we are on the lands of Treaty One, and that there is. There were there were some people who lived on this land before uh, my people got here, uh, my my settler family, and folks who came and led to to me living here as well. And and all I know is that we we need to acknowledge that, and we need to figure out a better way to live together than what we've been doing. And uh, I also know that we've done a pretty bad job of that as the church in the past. And, uh, yeah, I hope we can do better than that in the future. And so part of that starts with, I think, just not being afraid to say you don't know what that means because I don't. Uh, I don't know where that leads exactly. I don't think really anybody does. But but I think that's important to say. Um, yeah. So... So with that said, I, I managed to get through through that without hopefully making too big a fool of myself. And as I said, I was going to introduce myself, um, but I've talked to, to the folks who know me less well a little bit already, and some other people here know me a bit more, some quite well. <laughs> um, but my name is Matt. Just in case uh, some of you have forgotten that, Matt Weeb, and uh, so so the people who know me less well will probably know me the best uh, through my friend Kelly, who has been speaking here sometimes, has her office here, uh, is in Cross Lake this weekend, um, doing some of the amazing work that she does there, and so so yeah, I could. I could go into more of my background, but I'm not going to bother right now. You can ask me lots of questions later. Um, but I haven't done much of this talking thing for some time. And I decided to, you know, just make sure that I was afraid of this, that I would read through and talk about one of the worst passages in the whole Bible, and that that would be a fun thing to do. Because I think I think if we can start from from one of those passages, um, and and not go into some of maybe the places that that takes us, um, that that certainly that I was raised uh, to believe uh, in the church, uh, that that maybe that maybe there's some hope for us. And so this is this is the passage. This is Genesis 22. This is this is the passage dealing with Abraham uh, almost offering his son Isaac up as a sacrifice, 
And there has been a lot of pretty ugly things said about this passage throughout history and certainly said to to many of us who grew up in the church. Uh, and, yeah, I think I think we can maybe find some stuff here where, where this maybe doesn't have to be the ugliness uh, that we were raised to believe it to be. At least I hope so. But so I'm going to read it. This is Genesis 22. Um, so instead of just talking about it secondhand or... Um, in the abstract, I'm just going to read it. Um, and so Genesis 22 starts with after these things. So immediately that means after these things, well, there's things that have happened in this passage. And that means that, that means that there are stories that come before this, and this is a story that's located in relationship to other stories. And that's how we always go about doing things. Um, and the, these and what, what that means is necessarily here, we're, we're, we're going to zoom in on this story, but this story doesn't make any sense on its own. We're not going to talk about all the rest of the stories. I might refer to some, uh, some of the other stories about Abraham and his, his journey with God. But, um, but already we're doing something here that just by talking about this one story, we're, we're, we're losing some context. We're not going to get into everything. You could spend a lifetime just talking about this one passage. But we're not going to do all of that. But I want to call attention to the fact that whatever we're going to talk about today is a piece, like one of the one one angle on this. There's there's a lot more to this um, that where especially you can relate it to some of the other things that have happened. But after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand is that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies and by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Um, so, um, so pretty terrible, ugly, violent stuff that uh, we probably want nothing to do with. Uh, and it's... One of, one of these passages that I think the strategies are, uh, ignore it, just no, let's, let's never talk about that, and that's a pretty good one. Uh, that, that's, that's a better one than some of the ones I was raised with, which are, let's talk about it and let's say some ugly things. Um, I, I know that uh, I, was, I was talking to uh, my wife about this, and she said one of her Sunday school lessons when she was a kid was that you know, Isaac, well, you know, he was strong enough to, like, carry the wood. So, and Abraham was a pretty old dude at this time. So, he probably could have overpowered him, overpowered his father, right? He pro- but he was a good, obedient boy. And he obeyed his father. And through that came blessing. And you wonder how the church enables child abuse. Good God. Um... So that so so this would be better to avoid than to say things like that. Um, now, but there there are there is a problem uh, there, and 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 then there's problems around. Well, clearly the passage says that Abraham did a good thing by being willing to sacrifice his son. This is like a hero of the faith. The passage just says that pretty clearly. Um, and so do we just take that at face value? Do we just say that, yeah, no, that's right and good, and we, we, should, we should say exactly the same thing? Is that how we read the Bible? We just take it at that kind of face value? We just say, yep, Abraham was a hero, did what God said, even though it was horrible. Um, do we say that? Well, I've heard readings like that as well. Um, Again, I'd say it would probably be better to avoid this passage altogether than to be saying things like that. Um, and then you particularly get into the thing where, um, yeah, actually throughout most of the rest of the Bible, there's explicit commandments to not do this. Uh, there, the, the, the Hebrew prophets say in many places, don't worship these false gods that demand child sacrifice. There are over a dozen instances of saying that. So now is the Bible contradicting itself? Yes, it is. Um, it, it is. And so what? which, which part of the Bible do you listen to here? Uh, how, how do you read this? And so... So one of, the, one of the ways that you read this is you understand, firstly, that this was uh, written in a completely uh, different context than the one we live in. You can't just read it clearly into our culture, into our place and our time. Um, 
Now, this isn't this isn't a simple history. Um, this is this would have been a collection of uh, stories that were told. Right, not not many things were written down. This was probably written down about five six hundred B.C. in and around there, while 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 uh, while the Jews had been uh, the nation of Judah had been uh, conquered by Babylon, taken into captivity, uh, and that's when they began to write down some of the things. Uh, that they had experienced when they had been a kingdom, some of the some of the experiences of God that they believed they had, all the all the stories that they told themselves and each other about who that the, who they were, and they started to record some of these stories and stories that get told person to person around the campfire, around the family table, uh, have divergence. They 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 change. There's different traditions, but but there's a often and still a, a remarkable kernel of continuity that happens. And so what, what you see uh, in this passage, the best biblical scholars say that this is probably a collection of three or four different uh, traditions that have been kind of woven together. And you see some, some, some contra- and that's why you see a lot of contradictory stuff uh, throughout, throughout different parts of the Bible because you're recording different oral traditions. You're trying to synthesize them. You're trying to be faithful to all of them, but sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, you see this, and so that's a thing that happens in the Bible, and we should take that seriously. Uh, people who don't, people who want to make the Bible perfect uh, are bringing something to the Bible, a need to the Bible, that the Bible isn't there to fulfill for us. But it does tell us some pretty remarkable stories, this one included, and the people who wrote this down, they wrote it down for a reason, because it told them something about themselves. It told them something that they thought that they needed to know. And, and, and so the question there is, why did they write this story down? They've been conquered. They're in captivity. Um, and, and what the situation in the ancient world was when, when this, this, these stories were written down was uh, gods, every, every nation, every locality had their local god. That was worshipped. It was the god of their people. That god had theoretically no effectiveness uh, beyond the borders of that land, and so if and so war was seen as a as a clash of the gods, right? Um, so when Babylon conquered Judah, Babylon's god beat up on Judah's uh, god, the god of Israel, uh, Yahweh. And so their God lost. So they should have become good Babylonians. They should have, they should have stopped worshiping their God because their God lost. They even got taken out of their own land where their God couldn't hear them anymore. But they had some different stories, and, they, and, and there was actually a lot of uh, purification of those stories that happened when they were in exile, when they were away from their land. And, and that's one of the things that has happened here. And so then they... They believe that, yeah, they are the descendants of this man named Abraham who God had actually called out of the land that later became Babylon, out of Ur. And they, they believed that, that, that God had done something new and interesting. Their God was not acting like the rest of these gods around them that they saw. Their God was doing something different. Um, and so that's why they, that, that's why they recorded these stories that's why they wrote them down, so that they could tell them to their children that our God is a different kind of God. Yeah, we lost, but our God is actually still reigns supreme, and that doesn't make any sense. And that's, and that's 
those are the stories that they began to tell that that they they worshipped a loser god, and that somehow this god hadn't lost in the way that everybody around them thought that gods lost when your nation was conquered and you were carried away into captivity. Well, not all of them, just the elites. Uh, the, the, the poor people got to stay back home and they got to swap out some Jude, Judean elites for some Babylonian elites who came in to rule the land. But the elites are the ones who wrote things down, so that's how we get these stories written down. So that's a little bit of the context. And so in this context, uh, child sacrifice was common in the ancient Near East. Uh, many religions practiced it. Um, you see you see that somehow, some way, that even though these stories around Abraham had been told where you didn't have to sacrifice your children to God anymore, uh, in the, in, at least not for them, that it was certainly still happening because, again, everyone did it. It was just something you unthinkingly, unquestionably did. When, when, you know, when the harvest wasn't good or when you fear the harvest won't be good, if you want to secure the God's favor, or if you want to secure the gods not anger at you, you offer up sacrifices. This is, this is the way that the ancient world worked. It was a transaction. I give you the thing that matters most to me, and you give me either not the stink eye, right, the evil eye, or you bless me, right? It's a very, it's a transaction between you and this god. And so, and so the first part of this passage, therefore, is, is very unremarkable, where God calls Abraham to offer up his son. And that would have been a normal thing in that world at that time. People, people just believed that that was a normal thing, uh, a normal thing that God would have you do. And, and But what you see in this, so, so that part's completely unremarkable. Um, and, and as I was saying, that this is actually a collection of a bunch of different traditions in this passage, you actually see that in the passage. In, in the words used for, for God. Uh, when, when the, in the first part where it said, where God spoke to Abraham and said, offer up your son, uh, the word there is Elohim uh, in Hebrew, and that is, that is often the word uh, in the Bible used for, for their God, not just God as an abstract concept, any God. But, but often they will say something like Elohim Yahweh, the Lord God, right? Yahweh being the name of their particular God. Um, and, but, but here, or, or sometimes they will say the God, right? The God, the Elohim. But here it just says God. So it's just a God. And so that's interesting. That's not something that happens very commonly in the text. And so there's something interesting about that. But then the second time, the second voice that says, no, stop, right, don't, don't do it. That is Yahweh, the covenant God, the, the, the God of Israel who brought them out of Egypt. The one who says, I am, that's what Yahweh best transliterates to. We don't even know how to pronounce Yahweh because we just don't. It's one of the funny things about history and the way they wrote, they wrote all this down. But I am, I will be who I will be, says, stop. The angel of the angel of I am says, "Stop! Don't do it." And so that's that's what is actually the remarkable thing about this passage, because that was unheard of in the world at that time, that a god would not demand sacrifice from you. Um, not only that, 
but but now it, it it turns the whole notion of sacrifice, which is again, it's a it's a contract, it's an exchange. I give the god this thing, and then the god gives me favor or not anger and retribution. Hope of you know, on, on the other side, it's a contract. That's how how sacrifice was conceptualized, and and so not only that. So first, first the angel of the Lord says stop. The angel of Yahweh says, stop, don't do it, but also says, I will provide the sacrifice. Now, that is something that, again, because we don't live in that world, we don't actually understand, but that's just a complete category mistake. That doesn't make any sense, actually, in this world. Because if if God provides the sacrifice to God, what have you given to God? In this case, it doesn't make any sense. It almost makes the whole thing seem a bit like a moot point, like something that doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. And so, and instead, so, so God will provide the sacrifice, will substitute this uh, ram that's caught in the bushes conveniently for, for the sun. And so, one one of the other remarkable things about this passage is is it's a very strong there's a very strong sense that the traditions around this that this is the beginning of the end of human sacrifice because uh, we don't do that anymore but everybody used to and now nobody does or at least not in this way I mean if you look around yeah we're still doing a lot of sacrificing it's not like it's not like this has just gone away but in this form. In the fact that there is an angry God that you need to placate by offering up human sacrifice, uh, we don't do that anymore, and so and that that has ended, that has stopped, and this was the beginning of that. This is the beginning of that sense that 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 is not demanded anymore, and so this is the beginning also of the this is the beginning also of the um, uh, sacrificial system in in the. In Jerusalem, in the temple, uh, the tradition has it that this mountain that Abraham was on is uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, right? So it's connected, the Mount Moriah. Um, and so that this is kind of inaugurating the sacrificial cult in the temple and that that is now the way to worship God. We don't kill, we don't kill people anymore. Great, yay. We don't kill our kids, yay. Uh, we just kill some animals and that's good enough. And there's like, so there's a lessening of violence. It's like divine harm reduction. So that's pretty good. Um, right? Any, like anything, anything that can get through to us where we don't need to be as violent as we are, that's pretty amazing. And that's why, despite the fact, I mean, some of you may, I, I, I don't know where you particularly come from, how you view the Bible. Maybe, maybe I'm sounding like some kind of godless liberal in the way I'm describing it. But here, this is where I see inspiration, because this is an interruption in history that doesn't make any sense in its context. This is a lessening of violence. This is a, this is a removal of, of, a, of a form of awful sacrifice that, again, is awful to us because we don't live then and because this has helped things to change. This was normal. Abraham didn't have, like, pangs of conscience. Anyone who tells this story in a way that tries to, like, psychologize Abraham, get in his head that way, because, of course, we would all find that, like, impossible, and you should. 
uh, that, that's a complete misreading of this passage. And that is the kind of misreadings of the passage that have made this into, into a text of terror for so many Christians. I mean, I, I heard a story about a pastor who like took his kid up on a mount and read this story to him and said, son, I will always love God more than you. Like, what a horrible, crappy thing to say to a kid. Um, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but, and I mean, I remember, yeah, growing up in church, and this was like, oh my goodness, like, the world is not a safe place for me if there's people who follow this God, right? And And that's not a good reading of this passage. In this passage, it's, a, it's, it's the beginning of the end of child sacrifice. Now, as with many uh, revelations, it takes a while for those to work themselves out. And, it's not, and, and, and as, as I hinted at, I don't think we've still really gotten the full picture here. But, so, but a lot of stuff has worked itself out from this. Uh, I mean, the, the nation of Israel and Judah, the, those nations, they continued to... Per- uh, they continued to practice uh, child sacrifice. They continued to, uh, if, you, if you read through the Bible, the prophets condemning uh, people for the, these practices, putting your children through the fire. That's what this means. Uh, there's countless, when, when you read through uh, Kings and Chronicles, and, and they're talking about all the evil the various kings did, and they put their children through the fire. That's what this means. And so it's not like they got it. They continued to worship other gods. You didn't even get to monotheism right away. They continued to worship many other gods. Yahweh was like the big god, but they continued to worship many other gods. I mean, it's right there in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Not there are no other gods, just don't have any before me. And and then throughout, throughout their law, again, child sacrifice is explicitly prohibited. But it's pretty tempting because it's how everybody around you does things. It's just normal. Um, and, and so, but here you see an interruption of that, and that's why this story is written down, and that's why this story is in our Bible. Not so that, not so that we can go back to and valorize this, like, archaic, brutal time where, um, where, where, where it was believed that you could purchase peace through incredible violence. Uh, oh, wait. Wait, I don't think actually anything has changed in some ways. I mean, just just watch like any any uh, Marvel movie and you see this stuff. It's the good person who has to do a horrible thing that's pretty much like the same thing the bad person does, but, you know, we're the good guys. We f- feel bad about it. We'd really rather not do it. This is what's called the myth of redemptive violence. That, that, that if good people use violence in the right way, that we can secure peace, that we can, we can make good things happen. And the Bible, all throughout, is saying, God's not the angry God that you need to make happy through sacrifice. It, it's, it's all right here in, in a foretaste in this passage, because God provided the sacrifice, so that means the contract doesn't even exist the sacrifice is for us, not for God. The sacrifice is for us because we think we need it to make God happy, not angry with us. The sacrifice is always for us because we're, we're the angry God, actually. It's us. It's always us. 
and 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 what you and and we just we just like to say that the gods are angry because it helps us not see the face in the mirror that that it's always us and and so you see actually a foretaste uh, a hint of of the good news to come uh that 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 was best summed up in Jesus Jesus came for us he didn't come to make to make the father not angry with us anymore he didn't come for that he he came to show us what love looked like which was to lay his life down for us to and it's for us to show us our own violence our own ways that that god would walk among us uh in 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 perfect love living living this just wonderfully amazing perfect kind of life that nobody everybody should welcome him and 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 we killed him right we couldn't handle it because the violence is always us the people who need a sacrifice is us and and so so you see in this passage that the true god demands actually nothing the sacrifice was never for god god provided the sacrifice um and that means you have to you have to you know you have to read back into this passage through the revelation of the cross through through the revelation of the resurrection to say that oh there is a revelation here that god ne- god was never angry god already provided the sacrifice even even back then all the angry gods were all around and that was normal and it's pretty hard it's pretty hard to learn something else when that's all all that's around you and so 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 god yeah god demands nothing provides everything um and he cries out he's always actually crying out stop to all of our violence to all the ways we sacrifice ourselves our own integrity right like there's there's nothing that we justify there there there's no thing it seems that we won't justify ourselves doing if we think that the good and the right and god demands it and 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 the bible is the story of this progressive revelation of a god who's not that god we right you know god god has made us in his image and we have continued to return the favor we have made him in our image which is angry and violent with very conditional love in need of contracts but but the but there's this there's this uh there's this rupture and revelation that happens throughout this story if you have eyes to see it all throughout all throughout the Hebrew Bible and it start and and all into the New Testament of a god who's not angry with us of 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 a god who gives us everything we need even his own son but it's not to make him not angry with us it's all right here and so and so i'd say that that's the call for us because by default we're all we all listen to god a bit like abraham the first time which is we're pretty sure we know what god demands from us and you know and and we we do many and have done many horrible things in god's name because it was the right thing to do i mean i i i i can think of one great example in canadian history of churches doing something called residential schools a horrible and horrific thing to do but it was the good right thing to do right we uh we we justify it in these kinds of ways we keep and and when and when you do that 
you're, you're, everybody is sacrificed. You sacrifice, um, and, and again, I say that from the perspective of a sacrificer, not of someone who is sacrificed. I say that from the perspective of someone powerful. I'm a, I'm a white male in Canada, right? So, so I identify with Abraham when I read this passage. I don't identify with Isaac. I don't identify with the one who violence is done to in God's name. But, but that has just happened so often. And, 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 and so in this passage, there's a double violence. There's the violence that Abraham does to himself, to his own soul. There's the, the violence that he nearly did to his son Isaac. And then there's the God who says, stop. Don't do it. I have provided. And so I think and I hope that uh, maybe this helps us to see that when we read these passages of terror, that the, the, the terror is not from God, the terror is from us, and that God's calling us to, to live a different way than this. And I hope that we, we have ears to hear, uh, like Abraham the second time, where we can hear this voice that says something very different than what is being said around us, both in culture but also in our churches, right? Because we have this, we have a lot of this first God in our minds still. Um, but it's the second God that we should be listening to, the one who says stop. And, and, and then there's a different kind of life available in that. And I think that's the one he's inviting us into. So that's what I have to say today.